1: A new seven part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, I'm Matt Galloway, and this is the current podcast. Last year, Danielle Plaza's daughter did not have a permanent teacher for four weeks.
2: One day she had three different teachers come in between helping teachers, school counselors, TOCs. It's extremely frustrating for me, my family. It's a crucial time for her to learn and get those like the last year of elementary school before transitioning into that middle school program out here.
1: Plaza told Global News BC that her daughter did crosswords and word searches instead of schoolwork during those four weeks. Parents, kids and school boards across this country have been dealing with situations like this and they're not just... They're not just on their own in terms of what they're up against in terms of trying to find those teachers, in terms of having the teachers in front of the classroom. There just aren't enough teachers to go around, it seems like. In the meantime, class sizes are getting bigger. Test scores and mental health are declining. And so out of necessity, school boards are turning to unqualified adults to help fill the gaps. We'll hear more about that in a moment. But first, a look at how this teacher shortage is playing out in the classroom. Gurpreet Corbanes is a learning support teacher and languages department head at a high school in Surrey, British Columbia. Gurpreet, good morning. Good morning, Matt. What does the teacher shortage at your school look like right now?
0: Well, we are always short teachers, um, you know, and it's hard time filling out certain positions. And personally, for learning support teachers... Sometimes we don't get teachers to replace that who replace us who can do the job. So there will be individuals in our classrooms who are not familiar with the work. And um, yeah, it's it's causing a lot of chaos.
1: A lot of stress. chaos. Well, you say that we're always short of teachers. I mean, that's just how long has that been a situation? And how many teachers would you be short?
0: It's been on an on- ongoing thing. I mean, since the pandemic, I've noticed that um, there's a lot more like teacher shortages have been going on, but with the influx of people and Surrey is a large school district, we have overcrowding problems right now. And along with that, the work stress has led led us on to, you know, maybe for the past, I would say for the past four or five years, like we have seen it becoming more chaotic and stressful.
1: How does that impact you directly?
0: It impacts directly every day and all my colleagues as well, especially in our school district, because we are one of the largest school districts in BC. Um, A lot of new uh, families are moving in. And school districts are not able to keep up Um, and because the work stresses so much and kids are coming in with so many specialized needs for learning support that um, we're losing a lot of good teachers as well. And for me personally as well um, at our school, for example, if there is uh, an uncovered class, you know, regular classroom teachers away, couldn't get a TOC. Um the, the learning support teachers are usually pulled out of, you know, classroom support and asked to cover. Librarians are asked to, you know, shut down the library and go cover certain classes for the day. So
1: you would be pulled out of your job to go and help cover for a teacher who's not
0: there? Other teachers, yeah, learning support teachers are. And they are the first ones to go to because they are non-enrolling teachers sometimes. They don't have a full-on class load. They go into other classrooms or run like smaller, like two or three kid classes to support one-on-one with, you know, students with special needs. And, and you know, and they need one-on-one support.
1: What does that mean for your job and, and the students that you would be teaching if you're suddenly being pulled out of your job to go and do somebody else's well, job?
0: That means the colleagues who are in lear- learning support are not able to see the kids they're supposed to be seeing and supporting with their IEPs, individual education plans, which is a, a legal document, and they're not able to serve those kids. And those kids are the first ones who are feeling the brunt of the teacher shortage. Um, you know that that school districts are facing, you know, Canada wide. Um, and those kids, if they're not like the parents are not good advocates or they're not ringing the bells, some of those kids will fall through the cracks and they are falling through the cracks.
1: What does that mean? I mean, you're working with students with special needs, special learning yeah. needs in particular. So if yeah. you say that they might fall through the cracks because of yeah. everything that's happening and their parents might be busy, they may not be able to, to yeah. be the advocates that some other parents are. Um, yeah. What does that mean for, for those kids?
0: Well, that means is that they're, they're shutting down um, behavioral. We can see that some of these kids are now showing behaviors that are aggressive. They're stressed. They don't want to be there. Um, they will barge out of classrooms. Um, they will shout or they will show certain behaviors that we have not seen in them before. And that's only because their learning needs are not met.
1: You used a couple of times the word chaos to describe what this is doing in the school. What does that look like? I mean, and why did you use that word in particular?
0: Because it is chaotic. Every morning you would go to school, and especially I feel so bad for the front staff in the office of schools is that they have no idea how many teachers are going to be away. And especially with the pandemic and, you know, so much mental health issues going on within the teaching profession because of the, the poor working conditions. And we got to remember the teacher working conditions are learning conditions for our students. Right. So because this whole teacher shortage and overcrowding in our classrooms and high needs of our students have put so much pressure and I can see in the office every morning, you know, teachers are walking in and you, you think you're going to be planning your day with your prep block in there. You know, you're going to go see on a regular schedule. And all of a sudden, all these moving pieces have totally changed the day for you. So it is chaos, and especially you're short three to four teachers, or maybe five on certain days, because I've seen that board, and boy, oh boy, <laughs> the secretaries are just, you know, even the the principals are covering classes, VPs are pulled in, librarians are pulled in. It's a system that's on, on a, it's a skeleton, actually. Mm. We're just in a survival mode, and, and uh, we see that it's affecting everybody involved in education.
1: How does that make you feel, as somebody who... I mean, teachers do this work for a number of different reasons, but one is because you're dedicated to, to the lives of the students and trying to make those lives better, that you can't do um, the full measure of the job that you want to do because you're being pulled in a lot of different directions. How does that make you feel?
0: Well, I know that myself and my colleagues and a lot of teachers across Canada are feeling very heartbroken and the morale is really low. And the same job that used to, you know, you had so many supports in the past or whatever. It's, it's cut to the to the bones now that um, it is it's stressful you're bringing a lot more work home which you're not paid for um, compensation obviously you know teacher compensation is not not the greatest and the profession is not attracting um, p- people to to stay and I know that I' have, a lot of kids have taught I've been in education for 24 years now I've taught kids who you know wanted to be teachers came back as teachers and have quit because they couldn't keep up with this and the only reason I'm still around is because it's the passion. And a lot of teachers are, you know, pulling through with passion and they love the profession. They love what they do. Um, and, and also don't forget that a lot of um, universities uh, have these programs that they look for volunteer hours of kids in high schools. And a lot of these programs are being, you know, supervised by by teachers out of their own, you know, kindness mm. and giving their personal time. And now. What happens with those? Because if teachers can't even do their job, how are they going to help run those clubs?
1: Just before I let you go, I mean, we're going to be speaking with a teacher's college instructor in just a moment about her students and what they are preparing for. But what would you say to people who are considering entering teaching? They might be daunted by everything that we just talked about, about the chaos that you just described. What would you say to them?
0: Well, you know, take care of yourself first, make sure your mental health is in good place and uh, don't overstretch yourself. You know, we are being asked to do more every single day with less. And it's do not feel guilty because you can always go down that guilt trip that I'm not good enough and I'm not doing good enough because it's the system. It's not us. So we have to be very careful and mindful of our own mental health as well.
1: Would you dissuade them from getting into teaching?
0: I will not do that because I would love to have teachers come in and train. And I use, you know, with, with the university, I used to train teachers um, as, a, as a school associate. But I would for sure tell them how to prepare themselves and be ready for what's, what's to come.
1: Are you ready? It's Monday morning. The, the bell will be ringing sooner rather than later. Are you ready for what you're going to be walking into the school to face?
0: Uh, I usually get myself ready, but I'm also prepared and flexible for what's to come.
1: Good luck. Thanks for talking to us.
0: Thank you so much, Matt.
1: Gurpreet Korbans is a high school learning support teacher and languages department head in Surrey, British Columbia.
0: Hello,
3: I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Café with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Café with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Café. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart. And for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Natalie Reed is director of the Child Trauma Research Center at the University of Regina and an instructor in the Faculty of Education there. Natalie, hello to you.
2: Good morning, Matt. Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for being here. As you understand it, I have some stats that we can rattle through in a moment. (laughs) But from your perspective, how widespread is the teacher shortage across this country?
2: I actually think it's a bit frighteningly widespread. Uh, You know, through my work, I've been able to key into what's happening. And because education is provincially and territorially and jurisdictionally kind of mandated, the amount of information really varies depending on who's trying to say what at what time. But when you look across the country, uh, every province and most of the territories are seeming to definitely report shortages some are using the word crisis Mm. some are using the word recruitment and attrition crisis in fact uh, just last week on Thursday in Ontario uh, many of the teachers federations bonded together and put out a public statement saying that the Ford government had just actually publicly admitted or publicly recognized the recruitment and retention uh, problem in that province and so I do think it's widespread.
1: These are some of the stats that I mentioned. In Nunavut, uh, at the beginning of the school year, there was a 9 to 10% vacancy rate when it came to teachers. As of September, in Quebec, the province was lacking almost 1,900 full-time teachers and 6,600 part-time teachers. 52% of students who graduate with a Bachelor of Education in New Brunswick don't actually end up teaching in the province. And in Saskatchewan, there are rotating teacher strikes again tomorrow in part because of class sizes which people will pin back to the number of teachers that are available. What's going on? Why is there this shortage?
2: You know, there it's a a long it's a bit of a long answer, but I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. Many of these issues started before the pandemic. So before the pandemic, there were many, many teachers who were being held in what I would call precarious or non-permanent teaching positions. So that means subbing or short-term teaching contracts or parental leaves. And because they were being held in those precarious employment positions for six, ten years, they left the profession. Then because there was a bit of a, you know, there was this moment where people were not uh, retiring at the rate that was expected um, to reduce the glut. What happened is many uh, BED programs across the country reduced their number of seats. Because of that, you saw, like you said, an increase in class size. There was a decrease in assistant, educational assistant uh, support. And we actually started seeing before the pandemic, um, reports of increased violent incidents in schools. So before the pandemic, because again, reporting varies by place across mm. the country, the accepted statistic in Canada was about 30 to 50 percent of teachers, of qualified teachers, were leaving the profession in the first five years. So, so that with, that's all the... Sorry? I
1: was just going to say, what, what do you do in the face of that? I mean, with, with not enough teachers... And kids still in the classroom, there are solutions, and we mentioned some of them at the very beginning, but there are some solutions that, that, that provinces are putting forward to make sure that the schools are adequately staffed. Part of that is moving people around, but there's other things that, that schools are doing, right?
2: Absolutely. Um, and so in different provinces, again, different measures are being taken, but across the country, we have been seeing a dramatic increase in the inclusion of non-certified or non-qualified teachers. So, for example, during the pandemic, and it was as a bit of an emergency stopgap measure for literally the crisis level of not having the adult bodies in the building. Provinces like Manitoba developed a 30-hour basic classroom skills program for limited teaching. And so we started seeing non-qualified uh, teachers being hired into schools. Just, and to, that be clear, is just to be clear, you,
1: you, yeah. you do a 30-hour skills course and then you can be a substitute teacher in Manitoba.
2: Yes, yes. And similarly, in Saskatchewan, Ontario, British Columbia, uh, Quebec, Quebec has been very forthcoming. In fact, uh, they issued a report, their Auditor General found that in Quebec, in 2020 to 2021, 30,000 people who were teaching in schools did not have a teaching certificate or a provisional qualification. And so what was what is happening is because... We needed a stopgap measure. I don't fault anyone. It it kind of makes sense of what do we do? Well, we need to have this sort of interim space. My worry personally is that this interim stopgap solution ends up becoming permanent.
1: What does that mean? And we can talk about whether it becomes permanent or not. But for those kids in the classroom, what does that mean? In Saskatchewan, and again, this is no slight on the people who are there in, in front of the classroom, but th- th- some of the folks who, who would be teaching are being offered temporary teaching permits. If you're a high school graduate with no post-secondary, if you're four years out of high school, you have an adult that's in the room. That's important. But what does that mean for the quality of education?
2: It's a very, very important question to consider. When we think about schools, um, you know, an interesting conundrum with schools is that everyone's been there. So, you know, not everyone's been a medical doctor, not everyone's been a lawyer, not everyone has been a pipe fitter, but everyone has been to school. So people have been through a system, and so they think it is like it was. And what's really happened in the 22 years since I've been involved is we've seen a dramatic shift in what happens in Bachelor of Education programs. And so, you know, we want our most highly qualified, trained um, teachers to be alongside our kids in schools, and what's happening now, and what this stopgap measure I think interrupts is, in bachelor of education programs, we've moved towards teaching, you know, social skills, emotional, pardon me, emotional regulation, attending to mental health and well-being, critical thinking skills, entrepreneurial or innovative mindset skills that young people need as they move through their lives and as they move into adulthood. What happens when? Someone is in a classroom who hasn't gone through those kinds of programs. Or you condense the program. Or you condense the program. You really become a purveyor of kind of a prepackaged curriculum. You know, you you don't have the skill set around the content. And so the content becomes more of like a a worksheet based type interaction Mm -hmm. of, okay, here's what I have to here's what you need to know and here's how I'm going to do it. And it negates all of the stuff that we have learned is critically important, in fact, to learning.
1: Let me bring one more voice into the conversation, Natalie. Uh, Annie Cater Re- is executive director of People for Education. This is an organization that advocates for public education. She's with me in our studio. It's nice to see you. Good morning.
3: Good morning, Matt. Um,
1: Natalie Reed was talking about what's going on across this country. This is not just specific to to Canada, though. The UN says it as a global issue when it comes to a teacher shortage. Why is that the case?
3: Well, I think there's so many reasons. I have to say, part of me listening to both these incredibly articulate people, I'm kind of horrified about where we've got to. Um, and I think it is. I before I came in, I did. I went, is this happening all over the world? And yes, it is. And there's some kind of fundamental issue here, I think. And I know it's you know it may seem too big or too vague, but I don't think, as a society, that we all of us, and this is global, recognize enough. Um, the, how important this job is, how vital it is to our economy, our sustainability, our prosperity, our social cohesion, what it means to us as humans um, to educate kids well. And I, and and it's like, and I really agree uh, with Natalie, that, that we think it's, you know, you just, you know, get the facts into those kids and then they get out of there. But I, that was never the case. And it's less and less the case now in this incredibly complex, mess up world and there's a there's a lot of knowledge about that about how important it is but I'm not sure the system is so frustratingly slow to change mm. uh, that we're recognizing this this kind of huge job that it has and it's it, a little bit horrifying to listen to what is going on um, and it does mean you know we do I think and I I don't want to say you know everything's terrible and we have a terrible system because I don't think we do in Canada I think we're incredibly lucky but I think we have to hear those words chaos crisis we we have to understand what this means not just to people in schools, and I think that that's the other problem: is we we care about education when we're parents or if we work in schools, and then we don't anymore, especially K to twelve education. And it's like somehow not my problem; I don't really care. There's so many other issues, and and to to all all of us, it should be. It's like the upstream you know solution to a lot of our problems. It's where we're you know building quote unquote the next generation. Mm. So we we have to take this seriously, and I don't think we are.
1: And yet there are. I mean, one of the reasons why some of those measures are being taken by various provinces Mm -hmm. is because there aren't enough teachers in the classroom. Yeah. And so you look at... For example, reducing qualifications, because that's going to put more people into the classroom. And you shake your head as I say that.
3: <laughs> well, I'm just so worried that we're seeing it as a kind of mechanical problem. We need a grown-up in the class. You, I mean, I know there's classes where it's like, okay, everybody's just going in the gym. It becomes as if it's babysitting, mm. or as if it's like we just got to keep them safe for the day. So just getting more bodies in isn't enough. I, it's true. Lots of places reduced the, you know, or made the teacher uh, education programs two years, which reduced the amount of teachers. But I... I think we're gonna to have to look at other things. We're gonna look at have to look at how much we pay teachers and we I think we have to look at teacher education too, to to make sure that it's like the best, most amazing thing to go into because right now you can see it's not there aren't enough people going in, we're not graduating enough people, and they're not staying. It's a really, really, really hard job.
1: Do you worry this is a favorite subject of yours and mine, that this will undermine the value in some people's mind of public education, that if people hear this, they hear that there's no teacher, that you're doing puzzles rather than learning. They will make sacrifices if they can, not everybody can obviously, but some people will, and you people do this will make sacrifices to figure out a way to give their child a better education. Whether that means pulling them out of public education, whether and putting them in the private tutors, whatever other homeschooling, that this changes the value of public education.
3: Well, so the worry there is... Uh, the inequity then, the sort of built-in inequity of that, then I'm going to make sure my kid has all these other programs after school or yes, maybe go to private school. There hasn't been a huge flight to private school in Canada, but there definitely is. It's like, I'm going to make sure my school is okay. Uh, That is happening. And I think again now when we're, we're kids going into this big messy world, I think the other part of the inequity is the skills that Natalie was, that it's so important that kids are learning complex uh, uh-huh. Things in school that aren't just, you know, about the War of 1812. Not that that's not important. Um, but that, so we need super qualified teachers to be doing this. And so it, it's, yeah, the worry is that then I can, not because I'm a fabulous parent, but just because I have the wherewithal, I can provide my kid with all of those other things around that. But so public
1: education is about the commons. It's about everybody it, being so in the same absolutely space.
3: absolutely yeah. supposed to be that. And it's like, and we're amazing in Canada. More than 90% of our kids go to public schools across the country, rich, poor, whatever. That's not, it's not like that. Other countries have lost their public education Mm -hmm. systems, but the United States has, England has. So we have to take care of it.
1: Natalie, if we're not talking about reducing qualifications for teachers, what do we do? How do you address the shortage?
2: Wonderful question, Matt. Thank you. And also, thank you, Annie, for your passion and advocacy. <laughs> it uh, it warms my heart. You know, I think there are so many things and kind of short-term, long-term things we can do. I really do, knowing that this is a global issue, advocate for working actually alongside educators. Educators like Gert Preet, who are on the ground, who think about this every day who sit in staff rooms and come up with solutions you know that aren't necessarily top down that are bottom up that and because it's a global issue we have to think you know locally yes because going to school in corner brook is different than going to school in surrey but also provincially nationally and globally because there's brilliant brains who think about these things all the time so that's thing number one thing number two I would advocate for reducing certification complexity hmm. not the time but in this province in or sorry in this country to even move within provinces or to a different territory, you have to get recertified as a teacher. And sometimes that can be a very long and costly process. And that's even being a Canadian trained and qualified teacher to move within the country is difficult, let alone for a teacher who's trained abroad. So reducing that complexity and that those timelines, I think it's a very functional, quick, short-term, we could do it right now type solution. Mm. The one that I think I am very interested in and I've been thinking about a lot lately is what during the pandemic the the Canadian Teachers Federation did two sort of mental health check-ins and one of the statistics you know many of them were not surprising but one of them that really jumped out at me was the impact of public perception on teachers mental health. So in the 2001 survey they found that 87 percent of teachers identify that they found the negative public perception really hard on their mental health. And I don't think we can underestimate the impact of that in terms of thinking about recruitment to the profession, let alone retention. Mm. So, I think short-term, long-term, those would be some things I would advocate for.
1: Annie, we're out of time, but last word to you. I mean, it's not a silver bullet, but is there something that you think we need to be thinking about if this is a crisis with the stakes as high as you have articulated?
3: Well, I think it's what you're doing right now. So we need to talk about it across the country. We're too isolated from each other. We're not learning from each other in, you know, from Corner Brook to Surrey, as Natalie said. So we need to make sure it's a national conversation. And we need to think about, you know, what is a a kind of pan-Canadian strategy in this. And, and it's the beginning of organizations like ours, uh, you know, recognizing this is an incredible profession. It's the most important profession in the world and it's fabulous, but we're going to, we have to pay people more to be in it too.
2: And
1: you have to recognize, people have to recognize that it is that important. Absolutely. It's good to talk to you both about this. This is an issue that's not new, but it's certainly top of mind for many people, especially on a Monday morning with kids heading back into the classroom. Thank you.
2: Thanks a lot. Thank you, Matt.
1: Natalie Reed is director of the Child Trauma Research Center at the University of Regina and an instructor in the Faculty of Education there. Annie Kidder is executive director of People for Education. It is a public education advocacy group. We would love to know how the teacher shortage across this country is impacting you. Perhaps you're a parent and you see this teacher shortage affecting your kids. Maybe you're a teacher who's considering leaving the profession. Maybe you're a teacher who's also a parent. We'd love to know what this means for you in your experience day to day. Email us, thecurrent at cbc.ca or pull out your phone and record a voice memo and then send it to us. The email address is thecurrent at cbc.ca. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.